Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyrade Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Don't write checks that your ass can't cash. Memphis Grizzlies, y'all ain't nothing but trash, clowns, dunces, jabronis, idiots, losers, clowns, doink the clown, crusty the clown, Jadavian clown, knee, clowns, all of y'all, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, clowns, all that trash talking, all that bravado, all of that fake-ass WWE heel persona, the shades, the unbuttoned shirts, John Morant telling Malika Andrews, nah, we good in the West. Dylan Brooks, after a Game 2 victory, saying, I don't respect LeBron James. He's old. I, I won't respect him until he gives me 40. I poke bears. Pause. I poke bears. What are you talking about? Who are you? What do you even mean to this league? What have you accomplished? Who are you to be speaking out of turn that way, to be speaking out loud about the NBA's all-time leading scorer? I poke bears. I don't respect him until he gives me 40. Okay, the games are played. That's the beauty of sports. You can do all the talking you want to do. And listen, I don't care. I've said this before on the previous, the last time I talked about basketball on the podcast. I don't care about guys talking shit, about guys being charismatic, about bravado, about braggadocious bulletin board statements. I don't care about that shit as long as, here's the caveat, as long as you back it up. If you're going to talk it, you got to walk it. And right now, Dylan Brooks is stuck in slow motion. As a matter of fact, he's sedentary. He's sitting at a bus stop waiting for the number five bus to go to the other side of town. You're a loser. You're a joke. You're an embarrassment. Next time, think before you speak. As I say at the end of every podcast, tread lightly like a woodpecker with a headache. See, bad things happen to folks who choose not to listen to the Dion Gordon podcast Really, bad things happen to people who opt not to listen to me in the first place. I know what the fuck I'm talking about, and I know that John Moran and Dylan Brooks currently, right now, look like the biggest assholes in all of basketball right now. All that shit y'all was talking, and you got eliminated in the first round. And in game six, on the road with the opportunity to save your season, both of those guys were the drizzling shits. That is the beauty of sports. All the talking, all the hearsay, all the conjecture, all the daily talk shows, first take undisputed, all these bullshit ass shows, sports radio podcasts like mine. None of that shit matters. You can do all the talking you got to do, but at some point you got to step on that field, that court, that ice, and you got to pay your taxes. Eventually, we're going to see, we're going to find out. If you are really what you said that you were, are you really on that level? John Barant's a great basketball player, a multiple-time All-Star, got all kinds of ability and talent out this world, unreal athleticism. But in Game 6, season on the line, John Morant 
only three for 16 from the field and 10 measly points. Dylan Brooks, the outspoken Dylan Brooks, the guy who did the most talking and said it with his chest. And he meant it. The guy who took on that villain role, okay, you want to do that, you want to walk that line, that's, that's okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. As a matter of fact, I wish more people would do shit like that. But you got to back it up. And in game six, Dylan Brooks, four for 11, 10 points, two for five from three. That's not good enough. The leading scorer for the Memphis Grizzlies, some dude named Santi or Santa Aldama. They would have been better off with Santa Claus in game six. Completely embarrassed, obliterated, demolished, destroyed, sent to the upper room, sent to another galaxy, earth, wind, fire, and ice beaten out of the Memphis Grizzlies in game six by my beloved Los Angeles Lakers. Dylan Brooks, you said you don't respect LeBron until he gives you 40, 125 to 85. Do the math. What's, what's the difference in that? What is the disparity in 125 to 85? Subtract 85 from 125, and what do you get? 40, 40 point loss in an elimination game? And y'all did all that talking? Are you serious right now? Memphis would have been better off playing 3 6 Mafia last night. Who knows? I mean, maybe Juicy J could have given you 20 and 10 off the bench. DJ Paul, Lord Infamous, who knows? It couldn't have been any worse than what you got from Dylan the Villain and Termetrius last night. That was fucking garbage. But as a Laker fan, A, all credit, all praise is due to the men who suited up last night in the purple and gold. Total team effort. Total team performance last night. There was no one man who led the way. It was everybody. It was all the components that make up the Lakers. Anthony Davis, 16 points, 14 rebounds. My man, D'Angelo Russell, D'Lo, the man that I told people in 2015, the Lakers better draft this guy right here. From the Ohio State University, I saw it. I told people, I'll take credit for this. That guy's going to be pretty good. He's a good player. He's a good scorer on the correct team, and this is the correct team. 31 points last night. 31 points, a career playoff high from my man D'Angelo Russell. LeBron, 22 points on 9 of 13 shooting last night and played good defense and played hard. And I was concerned about LeBron because in game five, he looked every bit of 38 years old. He looked 48, 58, 68 years old in game five. He looked ancient, prehistoric, geriatric, antique in game five. But give him credit, he was able to rebound and recover from game five and come back home to L.A. to Los Angeles in game six and played outstanding basketball. Anthony Davis also had five block shots and controlled the paint, protected the rim, and then we got to have a conversation about my man, Austin Reeves, 11 points, eight assists, six rebounds, but the numbers don't even tell the full story. He's active defensively. He's a great point guard. He facilitates the offense. LeBron has trust in him. He does all the little things, intangibles. He's a fun player to watch, great ball handler, great outside shooter, this dude is awesome. He is fastly moving up the rankings of Deion Gordon's favorite white people. Now, 
Has he infiltrated the top five yet? No, that's that's difficult to do. All right. That's asking a lot for any white person to try to get into my favorite Caucasian people top five all time. We're talking about Brett the Hitman Hart, CM Punk, Bernie Sanders, Jane Elliott, and of course, the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. That's a pretty impressive list, and you're going to have to do a lot to try to get into that top five of my favorite white people ever. Austin Reeves is making a case, though. He's top 10. He is currently ascending up the leaderboard. He's like, currently right now, Austin Reeves might be number eight, right behind Trish Stratus, all right? And Trish still has some big-ass titties and looks goddamn good for her age. So if Austin Reeves is going to surpass Trish Stratus on Deion Gordon's list of his top 10 Caucasian people ever, he's going to have to help the Lakers win a championship this season. That's what it's going to take. I think he can do it. I think the Lakers can go to the finals this year. I said this before the last basketball podcast. I said the Lakers can at least advance to the NBA finals. I don't know if they can win it, but they can get there. There's no juggernauts in our current modern NBA. There's no super teams anymore. There's no dominant basketball team that you can just go ahead and pencil in for a trip to the NBA Finals. I'm not afraid of Denver. I'm not afraid of Phoenix. I'm not afraid of Golden State. I'm not scared of Sacramento. The Lakers can at least get to the NBA Finals. And I mean that when I say it. As a matter of fact, as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, I'm not afraid of anybody over there either. Boston, they had a lot of trouble with Atlanta. That was a tough series for them, and Atlanta is not even that good. Atlanta's a play-in team. Miami is another play-in team. They upset the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not scared of the Miami Heat. New York, Philadelphia, ain't no fear in my heart from those teams. Philadelphia has Doc Rivers as a head coach, Joel Embiid, and James Harden. That is the Bermuda Triangle of failure in the playoffs. I'm not scared of the Philadelphia 76ers. Why, why not? Why can't the Lakers win a championship this season? Who am I supposed to be afraid of as a Laker fan? Who should I fear? The Lord is my shepherd. Who should I fear in the NBA playoffs? None of those teams scare me at all. The Lakers can go all the way. All right, I'm going to stand on that. Unlike that low-life, detestable, hateable piece of human excrement, Dylan Brooks, who should now, you know what? I'm changing his name. From this point forward, he's no longer Dylan Brooks. He's Dylon Brooks, the five greatest rappers of all time. Dylon, 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 and Dylon. Dylon Brooks stunk up the joint in the NBA playoffs against the Lakers and then wasn't man enough, didn't have the requisite testicular fortitude to stand by in the locker room and answer questions from the media. You said all that, Dylan Dylon, I'm sorry, Dylon Brooks, you did all that talking. You got to own it. You got to answer the questions. You got to stand there and show who you really are. You got to own up to it. You got to be culpable in what you said you got to talk it. You're going to walk it, too, my friend. Goodbye and good riddance to the most hateable team in the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies. 
you know, with their season coming to an end so prematurely, this now frees up Ja Morant's schedule and gives him enough time now to go to his local mall and try to physically intimidate and harass teenagers selling sneakers at Foot Locker. You got plenty of time to do that now, Demetrius. And Dylon Brooks, good luck getting a new contract somewhere else next season. Don't fuck around and don't let me see you playing for the Shanghai Sharks next season, Dylon. Don't let that happen. Via Condios, Memphis, goodbye and good riddance. Moving on to the other game that was played last night, and this surprised me. Because I thought after Golden State took care of business in Game 5 at Sacramento, they were going to come home to San Francisco and close the deal and finish off that series. Your reigning, conquering, defending NBA World Heavyweight Champion Golden State Warriors, a team that's battle-tested, got all types of championship DNA, been through all types of fights and battles and wars over the years in pressure-packed situations in the playoffs, a team I do respect, a team that has my favorite player in the NBA, Wardell Stephen Curry. And game, this was game six. Game six, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Steve Kerr on the sidelines. I fully expected the Golden State Warriors to go home and close out the young upstart Sacramento Kings. As Chris Berman always said so famously, that's why they play the games. Sacramento came out last night with that dog in them. They came out ready to fight. They came out, they made adjustments. They played hard, intense defense. They disrupted the passing lanes. They were physical. They were all over the courts. They looked like the younger, more explosive, more athletic basketball team last night. They ran circles around the Golden State Warriors. Golden State got their asses handed to them last night by the Sacramento Kings. Make no mistake about it. This wasn't about Golden State losing. This was about Sacramento winning. Give them all the credit in the world. They came out there and they took it away from the Golden State Warriors. Sacramento 118, Golden State 99. Malik Monk, 28 points off the bench, 8 of 14 from the field, 3 for 6, 50% shooting from 3. Led the way in scoring, my man De'Aaron Fox. 26 points, 11 assists, 10 of 18 from the field. Keegan Murray, the rookie, 15 points, 5 for 17 from the field, 4 for 13 from 3. Kevin Herter, who played his college basketball at the University of Maryland at College Park, a former Maryland Terrapin, Kevin Herter, the much maligned Kevin Herter. He had struggled mightily throughout the majority of this series, but last night he came to life, 12 points off the bench. Awesome. Fantastic basketball by Sacramento last night. Like I said, they took it away from Golden State. Nothing was given to them. They took it by force. Those adjustments I spoke about earlier, Sacramento pretty much beat Golden State at their own game. They played small ball, floor spacing, perimeter shooting. Trey Lyles slid into the backup center spot, taking minutes away from Alex Lim. He was phenomenal last night. Domitas Sabonis is an all-star. And truthfully, he has not played well the entire series. He was in foul trouble last night. He found himself on the bench the majority of the game, as did Harrison Barnes. 
Same thing for Davion Mitchell. Those guys sat the majority of the game, and those minutes went to Terrence Davis, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, and they were they were productive. It worked. Give Mike Brown credit for making that adjustment. And like I said, they pretty much beat Golden State at their own game. 118 to 99, the biggest home loss for Golden State this entire season, and also the largest home loss of the current dynasty era of the Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr era. Golden State had not lost a home playoff game by 19 or more points since 1989. Give Sacramento all the credit. You come in and you deliver a fade like that to your reigning, conquering, defending NBA world champions. You beat them by 19 points, their biggest home ass whooping since 1989. Salute. You get all the credit in the world. And now we got a game seven at Sacramento. On their floor, in their building, in front of their fans with the opportunity to light the beam and move on to the semifinal round and play against my beloved Los Angeles Lakers. I'm concerned about Golden State because all season long, they've been dog shit on the road. They have not played well on the road, even though they stole game five in Sacramento. And that's why I felt like game six was a foregone conclusion because they've been so good at home. And it was shocking to see them get mollywhopped, to see them get fucked up the way they got fucked up last night. That was ugly. That was no limit sneaker ugly last night for Golden State. They looked bad. They looked old. And, you know, another thing Sacramento did well, target Steph Curry defensively. As awesome as he is offensively, he is and always kind of has been somewhat of a liability on defense. He's not the same guy not the same threat defensively as he is offensively. Offensively, he might be the greatest force we've ever seen in the NBA. That's saying a lot. That might be controversial. We're talking about Wilt Chamberlain. We're talking about Michael Jordan. We're talking about Kobe Bryant. A long list of guys, but you look at Steph Curry, his impact on the sport, he changed the game. He revolutionized basketball. Every team in the NBA is taking a thousand threes because of the impact left by Steph Curry. He's changed the game. Guys are taking 30-foot three-point shots now, 35-foot three-point shots now because of Stephen Curry. As awesome as he is offensively, the way he can create his own shot off the dribble, his off-ball movement, he's always a threat offensively, but defensively, number one, he's not that big of a guy. I mean, I give Steph a lot of credit for working out and building up his body and increasing his weight and his strength. But still, at the end of the day, you're still only 6'2", 6'3". So you can, you can exploit him defensively. You can do a lot of things to him. And that's I've seen that before over the years. I've seen a lot of teams target Curry on defense. And there's a reason for that because he's not that great defensively. He tries hard. He gives you effort. But defensively, no one is ever going to confuse Steph Curry with 1996 Gary Payton. That's never going to happen. Sacramento last night made it a point of emphasis to target him in the pick and roll. And it worked. And that also does, that accomplishes two things at once. 
Number one, it gives you an easier option and an easier chance to score, obviously, because like I said, Curry is a weak defender, but it kind of wears him down a little bit. It kind of tires him out. He gets a little bit more fatigued now, and it takes away from what he's able to do offensively. I thought Mike Brown and his coaching staff last night were in their bag. I thought their whole game plan was phenomenal, and their team just outworked Golden State last night, outplayed them, fought and battled and earned that victory last night. And for Golden State, I mean, I don't want to count them out. Because of that championship DNA, because they've been there and done that, because they've shown it and proven it in big-time, pressure-packed championship situations and moments, I got all the respect in the world for the Golden State Warriors. But tomorrow for Game 7 on the road in Sacramento against that young, feisty, upstart basketball team, I don't know. I really don't know about Golden State's chances in Game 7 against the Sacramento Kings, I, I don't know. Is tomorrow going to be the end of the, Sac- of the, I'm sorry, the Golden State Warrior dynasty that we've seen for the past decade? Is tomorrow the end? Game 7 in Sacramento, is that going to be it? Are we closing the door on this Golden State Warrior dynasty? That remains to be seen. I think because of that, they got pride, number one. They're going to show up. They're going to battle. They're going to fight. Their effort is going to be better than what it was in game six. At least you would think so. But like I said, that's a young, hungry, feisty, motivated basketball team they're going up against. Sacramento has an opportunity to slay the dragon, to knock out the champ. David can take down Goliath tomorrow in game seven. And I'm going to go with Sacramento in that game. I think the Kings just got too much. That home crowd is going to be ballistic in Sacramento tomorrow. That fan base has not seen playoff games before this season since 2004. They're hungry. They're rabid. They're going to be on Golden State's head tomorrow. And I don't want to say it, but I feel like I feel compelled to say it. As much respect as I have for the Golden State Warriors, I don't think to, I don't think Game 7 is going to work out in their favor. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. I think Sacramento wins that game. Uh, Looking at the Eastern Conference, we had a monumental upset this week. The play-in team, the eight-seed Miami Heat, took out the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks in five games. A play-in team beat the number one seed in the Eastern Conference in a gentleman's sweep You remember a couple years ago when Jimmy Butler was playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves? He took a bunch of random-ass G League guys off the sideline and played against the starters in Minnesota and beat them. He just did that in a playoff series. He took a bunch of random-ass guys, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, 64-year-old Kevin Love, and Bam out of bio, I mean, Bam's a former all-star. I shouldn't, I shouldn't call Bam out of bio a random-ass guy, but still, he took some guys, for the most part, and beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a five-game series. He followed up a 56-point game four with a 42-point game five, hit the shot at the end of regulation, to force overtime and then leads his team to victory in overtime on the road in Milwaukee to advance to the second round 
of the Eastern Conference playoffs? Man, salute. Jimmy Butler is that guy in the playoffs, especially this time of the year when it matters the most, when legacies are being written and defined. You have to show and prove in the playoffs, and Jimmy Butler does that consistently. It's a different guy this time of the year, and that's what matters. Jimmy Butler destroyed Milwaukee almost single-handedly. He mopped the floor with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Pat Connaughton and whoever else you want to name from the Milwaukee Bucks. They got fucked up by Jimmy Butler, no question about it. And the Miami Heat, a play-in team. I saw them play in a play-in game. Personally, I was in Miami a couple weeks ago. I saw them play against Chicago in that play-in game. They were hanging on by a thread in that game. They almost lost to Chicago. The Bulls aren't even good. And they, they came back to win that game, and now here they are in the playoffs knocking out the number one seed. Jimmy Butler is a different dude this time of the year. It's incredible. On the flip side of that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And yes, he had 38 points, 20 rebounds in game five. He also missed 13 free throws. You miss 13 free throws at home in an elimination game. You deserve all the criticism, all the scrutiny. You, you deserve to be maligned as much as possible. If it were anybody else, they'd be catching all kinds of bullets right now. If Kevin Durant had done that, what do you think the conversation would be? KD chokes in the playoffs. He can't get it done. He couldn't even get out the first round. If Steph Curry, if, if Golden State does lose to Sacramento, people are going to be talking shit about Steph Curry for losing in the first round. Never mind the fact this guy's a four-time NBA champion and just won a championship last season and was named finals MVP of that NBA finals. But if Golden State does lose to Sacramento, people are going to be talking shit about Steph Curry. Right or wrong, that's what it is. Whether people like it or understand it or not. And clearly, based on the post-game news conference, the post-game interaction between Giannis can't hit a free throw and whoever asked the following question, do you consider your season to be a failure? Clearly, Giannis can't hit a free throw, doesn't understand this dynamic because he tried to explain it as if it weren't a failure. He tried to make an excuse, a cover-up. He tried to downplay it. He was visibly frustrated by the question even being asked in the first place. When asked, do you consider your season to be a failure? Giannis can't hit a free throw, responded by saying, no, what do you mean? I don't, I don't understand the question. What do you mean? The season is not a failure, okay? I don't know what you're talking about. Do you even play basketball? I don't want to make it personal, but I don't consider the season to be a failure just because we lose. Michael Jordan played 15 years in the NBA, six-time champion. Does that mean that nine times he was a failure? What are you talking about? I don't understand the question. No, this season was not a failure. In sports, you win, but you never fail. Everything is a learning opportunity, a chance to learn from your mistakes and grow and get better. It's all about development. You see, you understand now? That's what he said. Bullshit, Giannis. I call bullshit. I'm calling all kinds of cap. Giannis can't hit a free throw, would then say, you see, it's all about progression. You see, anytime you don't lose, there's no such thing as losing in basketball. It's all about progression. 
Once again, I call bullshit. Last season, Milwaukee lost in the second round. This season, they lost in the first round. That's not progression. That's regression. You're going backwards. You're not getting better. You're getting worse. You were the number one seed in the NBA Eastern Conference, and you lost in five games in the first round to a play-in team? How else do you describe that? That was a failure. Your season was a failure. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You failed. You and the Milwaukee Bucks failed this season. You had dreams and designs of going to the NBA Finals. You lost in the NBA quarterfinals to a fucking play-in team. Your season was a failure. That's just the way it goes in sports, Giannis. You know, it wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about the 49ers at any given opportunity. The 49ers last season went 13-4, and at one point had a 10-game, 9-game winning streak, and they lost in the NFC Championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. You know what that means? It means the 49ers season was a failure because they didn't win the Super Bowl. It was a failure. They lost. They came up short. They don't give out trophies to the third best team in the NFL. They give out trophies, the ultimate trophy, the Lombardi trophy, to the best team in the NFL. And you prove you're the best team in the NFL by winning the Super Bowl. At the end of every season, there's one winner and 31 losers in the NFL. In the NBA, there's one winner and 29 losers. And what that means is, since you didn't win, your season was a failure. Stop moving the goalposts, Giannis, and start practicing your free throws. I'll say one more thing about Milwaukee. They got to blow that whole thing up. Chris Middleton, washed, not what he was two years ago. Age, injuries, attrition all contributed to that. Um... Yeah, they need a roster overhaul, a revamp, I think. And I would look at the Portland Trailblazers and ask, what do you want for Damian Lillard? Let's face it, it's never going to happen for Lillard in Portland. You're never going to win a championship there. Stop trying to be the face of loyalty. Fuck that shit. Go win a championship. No one's going to get mad at you for leaving Portland. You've been there long enough. You've done well over there. People... They love you in Portland from what I've heard. You're a great player. You're in your 30s right now. There's only one thing left for Damian Lillard to do, and that's go win a championship. I think you pair him alongside Giannis in Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. To me, that's a quality basketball team. That team can at least get to the NBA Finals. Lillard and Giannis together, I like that combination a lot. Um... Will it happen? That remains to be seen, but something definitely has to happen if you're Milwaukee and if you're Damian Lillard, get the fuck out of Portland. You're never going to win there. You don't get points for loyalty. No one's going to be mad at you. You're not LeBron leaving Cleveland. You're not KD leaving OKC. You've been in Portland for a decade plus, got really nothing to show for it other than some cool highlights, 
some big moments in some big play, playoff games. I will say that. He's shown up in the playoffs individually, but he's never had a team around him to give him a legitimate shot at winning a championship. They got close in 2019. They got to the Western Conference Finals, and then the Golden State Warriors beat seven different shades of shit down their leg and took them out, and Portland really hasn't been the same since. Damian Lillard, put your, as my grandmother used to always tell me, put your pride in your suitcase. Put your pride in your suitcase and go play somewhere else. Milwaukee would be a great idea. Or the Lakers if you want to. But ideally, I think for him and for Giannis both, they should be together and they should be together in Milwaukee. I think that could work. Moving on. To the other half of the Eastern Conference equation, the New York Knickerbockers. How about it? How about these New York Knicks took out the Cleveland Cavaliers in five games and another gentleman sweep, Jalen Brunson. A lot of people criticize the contract that New York gave him in the offseason. He's worth every penny. Jalen Brunson is an amazing basketball player. So is my man R.J. Barrett, all right? Another guy, much maligned, heavily scrutinized, Coming out of the University of Duke, I always liked R.J. Barrett. I liked R.J. at Duke. I thought R.J. was going to have a good NBA career, and so far he has. He's been pretty good. The Knicks are a good basketball team. They're in the NBA Eastern Conference semifinal. Mitchell Robinson, Mitchell Robinson dominated the paint in that series against Cleveland. He destroyed Evan Mobley and Jared Allen at the same time, single-handedly dolo. As they say in New York City, he wiped them out. He mopped the floor with them in Game 5. Evan Mobley had 6 points and 9 rebounds. Jared Allen had 4 points, 4 rebounds. Mitchell Robinson had 11 offensive rebounds by himself. That's only We're only talking about offensive rebounds. He had 18 rebounds total and 13 points. That's a grown man down there, bro. That's a grown-ass man in Mitchell Robinson. The Knicks kicked the Cavaliers' ass. Donovan Mitchell is on a milk carton right now. Where was he in that series? Darius Garland had an up-and-down inconsistent series, but Donovan Mitchell is the best player on that team. A star, not a superstar. He's a, he's a star. He's in that second or third tier. He thinks, and many other people think, he's somewhere in that upper echelon, that first tier. No, he is not. No, the fuck he is not. You are a secondary option. I look at Donovan Mitchell as a guy that I think the only way he could ever win a championship is if he's the second guy on the team. I don't think he can be Batman and lead you to a championship. He has to be Robin and help you win a championship. But if he's your lead guy, if he's the centerpiece, the focal point of the organization, you're not winning a championship. He's a good basketball player. He's not a great basketball player. And he got exposed in that series against New York. Give the Knicks all the credit in the world for that. And I've spoken about this before. I think basketball in the NBA is overall better when the Knicks are a good basketball team. When New York City can participate in the playoffs and get deep in the playoffs, it's a better league. I grew up on this. Those legendary Chicago Bulls, New York Knicks games in the 90s, the Knicks and the Miami Heat, the Knicks and the Indiana Pacers, 
People still talk about those games. Those games mattered. Those games meant something. The league is a better league when the New York Knicks are good at basketball. That's what it is. Major big markets drive the league, and there's no market bigger than New York City. When Madison Square Garden is occupied this time of the year for basketball and that crowd that's been waiting so long for a good team, the Knicks have been trash for a long time now. For a couple of decades, they've been the, they've been the drizzling shits. But here they are now with a quality basketball team. And when you watch a Nick home playoff game, that crowd is going ape shit. That crowd's losing their mind. You can feel it. It's palpable. You can feel it at home watching the game on television. That crowd is bloodthirsty and they want nothing else more on this planet than for the New York Knicks to be good at basketball. And when they are, it's awesome. It's great for the sport. I like it. I like it a lot, man. Now we're talking about a second-round semifinal matchup against the Miami Heat. Specifically, we're talking about a matchup of Tom Thibodeau, the head coach of the New York Knicks, going against Jimmy Butler. Ooh, we're talking about Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau, Chicago Bulls, Minnesota Timberwolves. These guys are well-connected. They know each other. Jimmy Butler played for Tom Thibodeau on two different basketball teams, and now they're going against each other in the conference semifinals? Sign me up for that. Sign me up for all of that. I hope that series goes seven games. I don't know who's going to win it. I can't call a winner or a loser. I'm never going to doubt Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. No way. The reincarnation of Michael Jordan should never be counted out in the playoffs, and that's Jimmy Butler. The closest thing we ever had to Michael Jordan was Kobe Bean Bryant, the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant. The next closest thing we ever had to Michael Jordan is Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. This series is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be fire. Can't wait to see Knicks and Heat. That's my childhood. That's my childhood of watching basketball. Hopefully, hopefully at least two fights break out. In this series, you got to pay homage to the Knicks and the Heat from the 90s. You got to pay your respects. Hopefully, we get a seed of Tom Thibodeau clutching at the ankles of Bam Adebayo, similar to how Jeff Van Gundy was clutching at the ankles of Alonzo Mourning during a fracas, during a melee, during a Donnie Brook that broke out between the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat back in the 90s. I can't wait for this series. It's going to be awesome. I hope it goes seven games, and I hope at least two kerfuffles break out and ensue between New York and Miami, and I sincerely hope, I seriously hope we get a scene, we get that image of Tom Thibodeau grasping at the ankles of Bam Adebayo or Kevin Love in the middle of a fucking fight that's taking place on the court. I know the NBA doesn't like that kind of shit anymore. I don't care. I like it. I want to see what I like. I'm rooting for two fights and seven games of basketball between New York and Miami. We got Philadelphia and Boston on the other side. The Celtics took care of Atlanta. Tough series, though. Um, I had that series being a sweep. I give Atlanta a lot of credit for pushing it to six games. Trey Young, I mean, there was a poll taken this season among NBA players where they were asked to name the most overrated player in the NBA, and Trey Young won that vote. I don't agree with that. I like Trey Young, and he showed up in games four, five, and six in that series uh, to help extend it to a six-game series, a play-in team, 
that wasn't supposed to win in the first place, but they made it. They made it competitive, and they showed up, and they put up a fight. But in the end, it was your reigning, defending, conquering Eastern Conference champion, Boston Celtics, who emerged victorious. I like Boston to get to the finals. I don't think anybody in the East can beat them in a seven-game series. Wouldn't that be something? How about that? Celtics and Lakers, NBA Finals. I feel like we've seen that before about, I don't know, 10 times, 12 times really in the past. 2010 was the last time we saw it. The late, great Kobe Bean Bryant Finals MVP. That series was some of the best basketball I've seen ever. Physical, hard-nosed, tough. That series was really the last of a dying breed because that was the last time you saw like true physical hard-nosed basketball being played in the playoffs. The product is somewhat watered down now. The NBA doesn't want that kind of basketball being played anymore. And like I said, to me, that series was the last example of what basketball used to be. Playing from the post, playing from the inside outs, and just gritty, rugged, physical, in-your-face, unapologetic basketball being played in that 2010 NBA Finals. I think I think it'd be cool. I'm biased. I'm a Laker fan. I'll admit that. I've I've already admitted that. And from my perspective, I think it would be really fucking cool if we ended up once again Boston, Los Angeles, Celtics, Lakers. Sign me up for all of that too. That remains to be seen. A lot of basketball has to be played to even get to that point. On my TV screen right now is Denver and Phoenix. That series uh, just tipped off game one tonight. We'll see what happens there. That, that's another one. That's going to be a great series. I'm looking at six, seven games in that series to determine a winner. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it right now. I think Phoenix wins that series in what would be considered an upset. And the only reason I say that is because I just don't believe in the Denver Nuggets. Maybe they can prove me wrong. Who knows? We'll see going forward. But with all of that being said, that concludes this edition of the Dion Gordon podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, and very much appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, as always, Memphis Grizzlies, especially Dylon Brooks and Demetrius Morant, remember at all times, tread lightly like a woodpecker with a headache. Picture me rolling. I'm out.